This is a Coastal Community Church podcast. For more information about Coastal Community Church, please visit coastalcommunity.tv. Morning, Coast. How are y'all doing? Well, I'm... I'm well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Hey, uh, I, I missed you guys too. I, I was actually this morning, um, I, I was a little nervous. I haven't been nervous for a church service in like five years, but for some reason this morning, because I, I think what it was is why I was gone. In case you don't know, my name's TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I've, I've been gone the last couple of weeks, so I, I haven't been around. And, and, and while I was gone, I was getting all these emails and stuff saying how awesome everybody else was. And so I kind of felt like that was here speaking. And so I was like, man, maybe they just don't want me back. I don't know. So, uh, um, but uh, I'm, I'm glad to be back nonetheless. And, and I'm excited. You know, today is going to be a fun day, I hope. Uh, I hope that, uh, you know, I'm probably going to get in some people's faces and so I'm, I'm just going to apologize in advance. Like I'm going to get in your junk. So just get ready. Just get ready to open your junk up. But, uh, you know, today's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a, a, a big day. You know, anybody know what today day, what the day is today? Father's Day. Okay. Is there, are there any dads in there? Can you guys stand up real quick? If you're a dad, if you're a dad, stand up real quick. <laughs> Woo. All right. Hey, wait, stand up, stand up. I, I need three of y'all real quick. Three, one. Okay. Just run up here. No, no. Oh, oh, he's, he's coming up. Okay. See, I, I love Father's Day and normally we just give away like gift cards and stuff, but I figured today I was going to make some guys work for it. And so, um, so I, you guys, you guys dance, you guys go clubbing a lot or anything. You got, you got some like Beyonce moves, like, you know, like this or anything. Well, this should be fun. Have you guys ever watched Minute to Win It? No. Okay, cool. Um, basically in Minute to Win It, there's a game where they put these, um, these boxes around their back and there's ping pong balls in them and you attach this around your waist and then you shake your badunkadunk, okay? And, uh, and so I'm gonna give you guys each of these and we're gonna do a countdown and whoever gets it fastest is missing a ball. Oh, oh you just put it in that, guys? Well, you'll take that one, you want the extra balls? He, Craig, Craig, Craig has got some game here. He's been clubbing a little bit in life, so apparently he knows what's up. So you guys all know what we're doing. So we're about to, we're gonna about to, uh, you know, drop some outcasts here. And so what's gonna happen is there's gonna be a countdown on that screen back there, the screen here. As soon as it hits, as soon as it's gonna go three, two, one, as soon as it hits one, y'all just kind of sh- turn and you start shaking it. And whoever gets the balls out first, they win. All right? So come on, can we get the countdown? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Here it is, four, three, two, one, go. Man. (laughs) Hey, we got a winner. We got a winner right here. 18 seconds. The the first service got in 17. So you got some game there, bro. All right. Well, I got a gift card. I got got something for all of you guys. I guess, you know, um, for you guys that, that lost, like you need some caffeine, here's some Starbucks. Um, you know, you can, you can go ahead and take that. And for you, here's a steak from Outback and, and, a, and a thing for Tim McGraw. Um, so yeah, you, you, you didn't do as well. So <laughs> you guys, come on, let's give it up for these guys. Didn't they do good? Making fools of themselves. Listen, anytime we can make a fool of ourselves in church, I mean, that, you can just leave the balls on the ground, it's fine. People will play ping pong later, it's all right, it's all good. So uh 
Anyways, I just thought it'd be kind of fun to uh, do some, some ping pong stuff here, so I'm just gonna kick these out. Robert, these are for you. Um, and so, uh, um, you know, I, I'm excited to be back here. It's Father's Day, and, and you know, one of the big things in, in the world right now, uh, if you watch like any uh, beer commercial, what are they always talking about? They're talking about how guys today are losing their man cards, aren't they? They're, they're doing something that is, uh, that is not very cool. And what happens is they lose their man card. And I don't know if you know what a man card is, but basically there's a time when a guy uh, gets to a certain age, usually after they hit puberty, where they're no longer a boy or they're no longer a teenager, but they become a man. And when you get to that stage of being a man, there are times when you do some things that are not very masculine or maybe a little feminine, that other guys can call you out and say, listen, dude, you just lost your man card. You just lost your ability to be a man because of that thing that you did. Basically, it's like losing your credibility. And so there's a lot of things in life that happen that make us lose our man cards. And so I thought I would share kind of a top 10. What are, what are some ways that guys lose their, lose their man cards according to the internet? So I went on the internet and looked this up and there's tons of websites. The top 10 ways a guy can lose his man card. Number 10 is ask Asking another man to accompany you to the restroom. That will make you lose your man card. That's okay if for ladies, y'all can go in there in a pack. Another guy, you can't ask another guy to go to the restroom. That's just weird. And then you want to talk to him in like the stall next to you. I don't know. That's just, there's just something odd about it. I know ladies can do that. Guys, it's not cool. Number nine, wearing mascara if you're not a rock star. Yeah, there's some people that are like, yeah, I, those dudes wearing mascara. It's just scary. I don't know what your problem is. So uh, uh, number eight, spending your Saturdays hanging out at Bed Bath & Beyond. Number seven, you begin every sentence with bro. Ooh, that right there. I know that there's some guys that are like, man, that's, that, bro, what are you talking about? You know, they, they begin every, you're basically a meathead. I'm sorry. Um, number six, having discussions about who you think they should pick to win, The Bachelor or Dancing with the Stars. If you even watch those shows, like automatic revoke of your man card. Number five, knowing all the lyrics to a Bette Midler, Barbra Streisand, or Miley Cyrus song. If you know all the lyrics to any of those songs, like you automatically lose your man card. It's just not cool. Number four, wearing clothes so tight that your wife mistakes them as hers. All of you guys are like, ooh, apparently y'all know people that do this or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, number, number three, you wear Speedos. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's at the beach, at home. You just wear them. I mean, there's just something wrong with that. Number two, use more products than your spouse. Come on, bro. If you use more products than your spouse, you're going to mess up. And number one, you watch men's figure skating and comment about how much you like their outfits. So if, if you do any of those things, um, I'm sorry. There will be prayer for you afterwards, and we will try to redeem your life for doing those things. I, I don't know about you, but it, there's, there's always been some things that happen in your life where you're like, oh, I, I probably should not have had that happen. There's some times where you, you lose some credibility. I remember this one time, uh, my wife and I were on vacation. It wasn't this past time. I just wanna, I just wanna say that up front so nobody's like, oh, you did that right now? No, I did not. This was years ago. Um, my wife and I were on vacation, and she's like, you know what we should do? We should do a spa day today. And I was like, I've never done a spa day with my wife. I have no idea what that's like, but women always like, you know, if you see every group on this on, t on the internet, it's always for a spa day, right? Spa day or pedicure. That's all women want for some reason, spa day or pedicure. And so I was like, there must be something really awesome about this. So I thought I'll, I'll go do this. And so 
the kind of the, the spa package that they had was is that you would get a massage and a facial. And, and so I thought, oh, well, I mean, I've, I've, I've never done some of that stuff, so that'll be interesting. And so I went and got a massage, and that was really good. And my wife at the time, she was getting a facial, and so we kind of switched rooms uh, to do the next one. And so I'm getting this facial, and, and it, it feels amazing. Like, I've never had a facial. You know, people are popping zits and stuff. I don't know. That's somebody's profession. They pop zits and stuff. I, I don't know. I, I didn't know you could get paid for that. And so that's going along. And, and, but at the end, they're like kind of massaging my face and stuff and putting all this oil stuff on it. And it's, it's very relaxing. And the lady, the lady says to me, would you like for me to clean up your eyebrows? Now, I, I've never had a facial before. And so I don't really know what that is code for. And so I'm thinking, you know what? I kind of got like a cow lick in my eyebrow. If you come up to it, it's kind of crazy. And so I thought, oh, she's going to pluck some eyebrows. And I thought, oh, yeah, that would be cool if you plucked some eyebrows and you actually made it look not crazy. And, um, and so I'm laying there with my eyes closed and I feel like this warm sensation going over. And, uh, and she's like pushing down and stuff. And I'm like, oh, she's like, maybe they like massage it first or whatever. And the next thing I know, she like rips my eyebrows off with a piece of paper. And I'm yelling, dear God, what are you doing, lady? And, uh, and she's like, I'm cleaning up your eyebrows. I'm waxing your eyebrows. And I'm like, what? And uh, I'm like, I did not, I asked you to, to plug my eyebrows, not wax them. And she's like, no, you said clean them up. And, and so I walk out of this, uh, uh, this room and Shayla's waiting out there for me. And the first thing she says to me, she says, did you get your eyebrows waxed? Because my entire forehead is beat red because they just ripped every hair out. And I lost my man card that day. And I've been trying to get it back ever since and lost all credibility. And so um, it, it was just, it's one of those days that I've been in, you know, counseling ever since for, because I'm just, I'm just devastated by that moment. But there are some things that happen in our lives. There's some things that we do in lives that make us lose credibility with others, that make us uh, lose what we would call as guys, our man card. And I think there's some things that, that guys do and ladies do that all of us do. And I'm, I'm gonna talk to all of us, but I'm gonna kind of address the men today. And so we're going to look at a story in 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're going to be hanging out there and we're going to be taking a look at, the, uh, at a story of David. If you don't have a Bible, you can look at the screen. You can look in your worship guide. You can take uh, the notes that are there and scan it with your, your phone, that little QR code, and it'll come up on your phone. There's a lot of different ways you can participate. But let me kind of give you the backdrop of what's going down. There's a guy named David who um, is the king of Israel. He was not all always the king. At one point before that, he was a, he was a shepherd boy. And um, while he was a shepherd boy, a prophet came to him and said, hey, you know what? You are going to be the next king. And that didn't really make any sense since there already was a king and he already had a son. And, and in most kingdoms, the son of the king becomes the king. But yet David was not even part of their family. And he said, listen, you're going to be king. And they said, oh, that's interesting. And he just kind of went about his life. And he had a, a lot of older brothers and they were fighting in the king's army. And so the king's army was battling the the Philistines and they were they were encamped on two separate hills and and every day a Philistine named Goliath would come out and he would challenge the armies of Israel and say, hey, listen, send one guy to come out here and fight me. And whoever wins that battle, the other nation will serve that, the nation of the winner. And, and, and this dude was huge. He was like eight, nine foot tall. I mean, he was swole. He was like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator. I mean, he was like indestructible. And this guy would come out and, and everybody was terrified and one day the shepherd boy shows up to bring his brother some lunches and sees that and says, man, I can beat that dude. I'll beat a 
lion, I beat a bear, uh, I can take him on. And so he goes out and challenges Goliath and actually kills him and chops his head off and becomes a national hero overnight. I mean, that's kind of like the, the dream story. And so he's a national hero. He becomes part of, of uh, Saul's army and leads a brigade of them. And they're like undefeated in battle. And so his exploits are unbelievable. People love him. They go through town saying, man, Saul, who is the current king, he's slain a thousand people. But David, he's killed 10,000. And on the side, David's kind of a renaissance man. So he would go and serenade the king with his harp. I mean, this dude's a player. He's got every aspect covered. I mean, this, he's got it going on. And, and, and eventually Saul and his son die in battle. And when they die in battle, his lineage is kind of done. And so they elect David king and David becomes a king and he continues to, to conquer nations. And I mean, his, his reign as the king of Israel, I mean, they are just a dominant nation. They're kind of like the United States of America today. Everybody pretty much fears us because of what we've done. And so that's exactly what's happening in David's life. And we pick up in chapter 11 and verse one. And what's happening is it says in the spring. Now in the spring, we got to understand this is a significant time. This is a time where, where typically battles happen. You know, they wait for good weather to war. And so it says in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war. See, it wasn't just a custom for the, for the armies to go out and battle. A king would always accompany them to the battle. And so the David would typically go in a company and lead his people along the way. And it says, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israeli army. And so there's two different groups of, of David's army that he ends up sending out with somebody else. There's his men, which are called the mighty men. They were the guys that were with him when, when he was not king and he was running from Saul and, and he was conquering different things and they were protecting him. They were his guys. They were, they were his boys. They were kind of his posse that ran with him. And so they always had his back and he had their back. And then there was the army. And so he kind of abdicates that, that authority over to Joab. And it says, they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. And so right here, we see something that's really critical. If, if, we're, if we're going through life, one of the ways that we lose our man card in life, one of the ways that we, we, um, that we get that taken away, that we get rid of our responsibility is, is, is when we're irresponsible, when we end up being irresponsible. And that's exactly what we see with David right here. Right here, this is a time in David's life where he is supposed to be leading his people. And instead, he kind of steps back and says, you know what, I don't feel like leading right now. You know what, there are better things to do. I've been battling for a long time. I'm kind of tired, man, man, I'm, I'm just not feeling it this year. And so, man, I'm gonna go ahead and send Joab in my place. I'm gonna abdicate my authority. I'm gonna abdicate my responsibility and I'm gonna put that responsibility on somebody else and I'm gonna have them go and do it instead of doing what I am supposed to be doing, which is leading my people. And what happens so many times in life is that you and I, there are some responsibilities that have been put on us and instead of following through on those things, instead of going through on those things, we wanna push those things away and say, you know what? Somebody else can take care of that. I don't really feel like doing that right now. I don't really wanna do those things and we end up becoming irresponsible. And right here, I wanna to talk to guys because this is an area where we as men, we have struggled in America. We, and I, I just wanna hit you guys because men, I'm telling you right now, the reason why our wives are not following us, the reason why our coworkers are not following us, the reason our friends are not following us is because we have abdicated our responsibility of leadership in most of those situations. The reason we've done that is because we hate this word called commitment. 
We hate this word and, and, and we're in a society today where the word commitment is almost like a, it's like a, a bad word. We don't ever want to be committed to anything. In fact, you can look at the statistics that are out there right now. 40% of the kids born this year will be born into homes that a father is not present. 40%. Men like to play around, but they don't like to stay around, do they? Mm-hmm. That's right. Preach somebody. See, because this is a service full of ladies. You want to know why? Because the average church, 61% of the church is women. 39% is men. 35% uh, of, of the women will come to church without their husband or their spouse every single week and worship God and their husband will sit at home or go to Home Depot or mow the lawn. And you know what the problem with that is? Is that and, and the, your kids and they're 18, 19, when they hit their 20s, what happens is, is 70% of them will leave the church and never return. And the reason they're doing that is because they're following the example set by their fathers. They said, man, he's abdicated responsibility, so why do I have to keep my responsibility anywhere? I don't have to keep it at church. I don't have to keep it at God. I don't have to keep it in my credit cards. That's why we're in a, a financial crisis in our country is because people have abdicated the responsibilities of saying, I committed to something, and all of a sudden, I'm gonna be irris. What happened is, is we saw, man, I can just gather, 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 and we never looked at the consequences of that. We never looked at the responsibility that came with 28% interest, and now we're in a financial crisis that we haven't been able to dig ourselves out of because we were irresponsible when we are called to be responsible. And see, God right here is, is pointing something out that it's so easy for us to, to, to abdicate that responsibility to say, you know what, I, I don't really feel like doing that, men. And we have got to be men today, man. We've got to step up and we've got to say, you know what, I'm going to stop being lazy. I'm going to stop being passive and I'm going to start leading in my home. I'm going to start leading in my family. I'm going to start leading in my church. I'm going to start leading in my business place. I'm going to start leading in those areas. I'm not going to abdicate my responsibility. I'm not going to step back from it, but I'm going to step into it. And it starts with the small things. It starts with doing the little things over and over and over again. And that way you get permission to lead in the big things because guys love to throw around verses like wives submit to your husbands. How many wives have heard that verse a whole bunch of times when their husband never does jack crap any other time? Because we want the big authority, but we don't want to do it in the small things. And you know where authority starts? It starts in serving. It starts with us saying, you know what, how Jesus led and how Jesus had leadership and how he empowered others to have leadership. And he says, Christ didn't come to this earth to be served, but to serve others by dying on the cross. It meant that before Christ ever had authority in people's lives, he served their lives. And so that way people respected him and honored him because of what he had done for them, not for what they could do for him. And what happens is, is when we abdicate our, our, our responsibility, we start to say to ourselves, you know what? It's all about me. It's all about me, myself, and I. And it becomes a selfish endeavor. It becomes a selfish nature. It becomes uh, this place where it says, you know what? It's all about what I want and I need. And, and you know what? I don't feel like going to battle right now because I need some time. Well, no, you need to do what you're called to do. You need to be responsible for what you've taken on in your position, in your life. And so it's important for us to grab hold of that it's important to us to be committed to those things and not just slack those things off and not just push those things aside and, and, and make sure that we're running after those things with all of our hearts and all of our lives. And I, I know this to be true because I, I found this, this experience because I, I don't know about you guys, but um, 
uh, I, I hate running. Does anybody else out there hate running? Uh, I've pretty much figured out hell is going to be like a, a, just a continuous marathon. That's how, that's how, that's what they're going to make you do in hell. They're just going to be like run, you know, and it's going to be, no, please don't make me run. That, that's a literal hell to me. And so um, I, w- I was working out with a guy uh, every day that I was discipling and, and he decided he wanted to start running marathons. And I was like, that's a great decision for you, bro. And, um, and he's like, no, man, I think you should do this too. I think you should come and run with me. And I was like, um, I don't run. Have you seen this physique? It's not really built for running. It's, it's more built for sitting and uh, pondering. And um, he's like, no, I think you should. And, and finally, he kind of convinced me to run a 5K. And, uh, and, and I don't really know much about running. So I thought, you know what? Every day at the gym, I'm just going to get on a treadmill and run. I'm going to run for 30 minutes. And at the end of that, I'll look to see how far I ran. And hopefully it's uh, 3.2 miles. And then I'll be able to go outside one day and run. And so that was my goal. And so every day I would get on a treadmill and I'd run. Except nobody told me that running on a treadmill is nothing like running outside with other people running around you. And so I got good at running on a treadmill. And then finally the day of this, this 5K came up and uh, we get there and I'm thinking to myself, man, I've got to beat this guy, you know, because I'm competitive. I'm competitive nature. I'm a jock. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's, if it's uh, rock, paper, scissors. I don't care if it's, if it's, a, it's a game from, of racing from here to there. I want to win everything. Anybody else? Anybody else like they just constantly have to win? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. We have to win everything. And so I'm like, I'm going to win this race. I'm going to beat everybody here. And I'm standing next to like a guy. I don't know. I'm just going to guess he was talking some other language and he ran like a hyena. I'm pretty sure he was from Ethiopia because those dudes can run. And so he takes off running and I take off running with him. I'm like, I'm keeping stride with this dude. And so we're running and he's, he's running normal for him. I'm running at a full out sprint for me. And we get to the first mile marker and I've ran like a four minute mile. I've never ran a four minute mile in my life. Never even thought about running a four minute mile, but I'm just keeping pace with this guy. I'm like, man, I'm going to kill my friend. My friend, he runs like a 20 minute mile. So I'm going to win this. I'm getting, I get to like the second mark. I'm at like 10 minutes. I've run five minute miles. I've never ran five minute miles in a row in my life. And then all of a sudden, you know, your body starts saying like, there's not anything left. And I know that they say that there's like this second win thing. Nah, man, there ain't, there ain't no second win. I'll just tell you that right now. <laughs> there's no second win. There's, there's nothing that comes on like that. And, and so I start hurting bad, you know, when your body, like you feel like your internal organs are shutting down. Like in the heart attack mode starts going on. You're like clutching your chest. I, I kind of went into that mode. And, uh, and so I'm like walking, barely breathing. I thought, man, I better power walk because a lady in a stroller just passed me. Um, I'm like, where in the world do these people do this stuff at? And so I'm, I'm, I'm power walking and I'm like, I better start jogging. So I start jogging a little bit and I finally turn the corner and it's a long straightaway. It's like 300 yards straight away to the finish line. You can see the finish line that, you know, that's where all the people are gathered. They have a, a big sign that says finish line. And as I turn there, I look over and there's like an elderly gentleman. He's probably like 87 years old and he's got arm braces and he's got knee braces. He's got knee braces so tight that he can't bend his knees. So he's like running like this. And, and, and I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot let an 87 year old guy with knee braces beat me. I mean, that would just be, uh, I could never show my face again. You know, it, I'd be shamed. And so, so I kind of turn and look at him and he turns and, and you know, you have that moment where you catch eyes 
and everything changes right there. And, and you say, oh yeah, it's on. It's on like Donkey Kong. And so, and so we take off, you know, he's going down and he's, he's high-stepping Deion Sanders like down the sideline for a touchdown. And I'm sprinting as hard as I can. I mean, like there is literally fire coming off my backside. That's how fast I'm running. I mean, I'm like breaking the world sound record faster than the speed of light, everything. And about 30 yards from the finish line, um, my entire uh, meals from the day before decide that it is time to uh, come out. And, uh, and so I start throwing up everywhere, right in the middle of the, the race, uh, you know, where you're running. You know, when you just can't, when you just throw up, you just can't stop. Like I had uncontrollable throw up. And so everybody at the, everybody at the finish line is like, oh gosh, you know, and, and people are, the, the old guy like totally annihilates me to the finish line. The people that are running by are kind of like looking at me running by, like what is going on? And I'm just throwing up. I, I, I puked out like a couple of lungs, a kidney, and uh, my kneecap. I mean, it was unbelievable. And so, uh, but I'm like, man, I'm committed. Man, I gotta, I, I, I should have just quit right there. You know, that would have been the same thing because everybody's gonna make fun of me when, as soon as I go 30 more yards. You know, they're already laughing at me anyways. But, and I'm like, man, I, you know what? I said I would finish and I ran through and I finished and I went and got my medal. I don't really care. I don't care. You know, they give medals to kids at all ages. I think that's stupid. But when you finish a 5K, you should get a medal. I don't care what, I don't care if you, if you roller biked your way there. That, that's a hard deal. And so, but the point is, is man, I made a commitment to that thing. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna follow it through till the very end. Even when it hurts, even when it's painful, even when I puked up my kneecap, man, I'm going all the way. And some of us, man, we've, we've abdicated our responsibility. We've taken this approach like David and we've just said, you know what? Uh, man, I don't feel like it. It doesn't feel good. It's not easy. And so I'm gonna do what I feel like doing. And we've got to recognize that, man, that is a surefire way to lose our man card in life. And what happens is when we get become irresponsible in life is we forget what is most important. We start forgetting what is most important in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses two through four. It says, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Now stop right there. Now, now to most people, that isn't like that big of a deal. Like he looked and he saw a girl, oh, okay. And he was interested. And so, oh, well, that's okay. But you gotta understand, man, David is married. He's, he's already got kids. He's already got a family. But yet he looks over and he sees somebody. He's like, man, I wanna find out about her. And so he sends a servant to go find out and they come back and they say, hey, that's the daughter of Eliam. And, and today, David, that, that should have resounded as something because he's like, oh, the daughter of Eliam. I know who Eliam is. He's one of my mighty men. He's one of the, my 30 dudes that has been with me for the last 20 to 25 years battling other people. He's with me through the thick. He's with me through the thin. That's his daughter, man. I better respect him. I better understand that that's his daughter. But even worse than that, she's married and she's married to another one of David's mighty men named Uriah the Hittite who has been his boy, who has had his back, who has done incredible things and fought in battles with with him. And so the, these aren't just two random names like, oh, I don't even know who those people are. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go get her. It's, it's, these are people that are very close to him. And what, what we don't realize is that when we fall into this place of being irresponsible, where we're not where we should be, when we're not fulfilling the leadership roles that God has placed us to have in our lives and we're, we're abdicating those things, it puts us in the wrong place at the wrong time, which causes us to do the wrong things at the wrong time. And so he sees this lady and because he's falling himself into sin, he says, oh man, I want her. And he 
he sends for her to come to his house and he sleeps with her. And, and right there, what happens is when we're not fulfilling the things that we're supposed to be doing, when we're being irresponsible, we forget what is most important. And sin always takes us to a place where we forget about the thing that is most important in our lives and that is relationships. These were not just any guys. I mean, these were some of the very closest friends that David had in his life. These were the people that loved him when he was unlovable. These were the people that had his back when nobody else had his back. These were the guys that protected him when people were trying to kill him. I mean, these were the guys that were some of the most important people in his life. But when he got to a place where he was outside of where he was supposed to be and what he was supposed to be doing, he stopped, for, he stopped remembering what were the important things in life. And it's so easy for us to get outside of our responsibility and we become irresponsible and we forget about what's important. That's why so many times parents are at work and their kids have a game and they say to themselves, you know what? I should probably be at my kid's game because they only have so many of these. I always get to spend 18 years with these kids and then they're gone. I'm a steward of them. But yet we have this idea that we gotta climb the corporate ladder and we've gotta achieve all this stuff. And so we neglect the relationship that's gonna be there for a lifetime to go for something that's gonna be for just a temporary moment. And we forget what is most important in our lives and we neglect those things. And we lose out the opportunity for amazing relationships. And that's exactly what David says to himself. It doesn't seem like a big deal to find out who she is. It doesn't seem like it'll, it'll, it'll do much, and, but it takes him further than he ever thought. It says in James 1, 14 and 15, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desires. It's not the seeing her that caused the problem. It was the fact that he had abdicated his responsibility and so he didn't have anything else to do. So he allowed that, that image to dwell in his mind. And even when people came to him and said, hey, check it out. You know who those people are? He said, I don't care. I want that. It started growing within him. That sin started developing and all of a sudden it came and it did something and he went and he had sex with her. And and, and, and the old saying is true, sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go, make you do things that you never wanted to do and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. And that's what David found himself in, man. He had, he had become irresponsible and he forgot what was most important. And, and when we get in those places for some reason and sin starts happening in our lives, we always want to cover up our mistakes. We always want to cover up our faults, don't we? I mean, that's a natural reaction for us. And basically what happens is he has sex with his woman and he sends her back to the home and he says, hey, man, peace out. I, it was a good time. You know, I like to play around, but I don't stay around. What's up? And then he goes off and, and before long, she sends word a couple of weeks later and says, you know what? Hey, you know what? I'm pregnant. And David said, it ain't mine. You know, and, uh, and, she's, and he's like, she's like, yes, it is because my husband hasn't been around. He's at war where you're supposed to be. And he says, oh, snap, maybe it is. And, he, and so he calls, uh, he sends a word to his commanders and says, hey, send Uriah the Hittite back. I want to get word on the battle. And so they send Uriah and he meets with Uriah and he says, hey, man, what's happening? And he says, man, we're dominating this battle. Uh, and, and in fact, this is, this is a, a, a pretty big deal because they're dominating the battle. And he says, that's all awesome, man. Go home and, 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 you know, we'll send you back out the next day. And so David fully expects Uriah to go home and, and sleep with his wife so he can come up with a plan to cover up what he had done. But what he finds out is that Uriah had not done that. And in verse 10, it says, and David was told Uriah did not go home. 
So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And he says, my commander. Now this is a big deal because this is kind of a jab at David right here because David has always been his commander. David has always been his leader. But he says, my commander, Joab, and so right there, he's saying, listen, man, you abdicated your authority. He's kind of poking into him and saying, listen, you did something. And he says, and the Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife? And again, another jab. He doesn't even know he's jabbing David right there, but that's exactly what David was doing is he was eating and drinking, but he wasn't sleeping with his wife. He was sleeping with Uriah's wife. And so David's like, oh man, this is not good. This guy is doing exactly what I should be doing, but I'm not. And so he decides, man, I'm gonna get him drunk tonight and then he's gonna go home and he's gonna sleep with his wife. And he gets him drunk and, and Uriah still has an enormous amount of honor. And, and instead of going home that night, he, he goes and he sleeps with, in the servant's quarters. And the next day, David realizes that that didn't happen. And so he sends uh, Uriah back to battle and in a letter to uh, Joab, he says, hey, put Uriah on the front lines in the fiercest battles there are. And when it's, the attack is at the fiercest, pull back the men and leave, and leave Uriah out there. And what happens is they do that and Uriah dies. Because David is trying to cover his faults, but yet he's still got a problem. And I don't know about you, but it's so easy to try to cover our faults, isn't it? I mean, that's a, that's a natural tendency for us is when we've made mistakes. Man, I don't want anybody else to figure out my mistake. I don't want anybody else to see that I've screwed up. And so, man, I'm going to lie to cover that up. I'm going to do whatever it takes to cover that thing up so that nobody recognizes that, man, I've abdicated some things in my life, that I've become irresponsible in some areas, that I forgot about what is most important in life. And those are, are some relationships. And I'm, I'm trying to cover those things up. And, and I know that this is true in my life. I I remember when I was 18 years old, I was just coming home from college and I decided that I was gonna have a few friends over. Um, at least that's what I told my family. They were out of town. They were, they were traveling on business. I said, man, I'm, I'm just gonna have a few friends over knowing that I was probably gonna have a hundred people over to my house and, and have a nice little party. And so I decided to, to have some friends over and my neighbors being, being good neighbors for my parents, they decided to call them while they were gone and said, hey, there's a whole bunch of people over at TJ's house or over at your house. And I think there's a party going on. And so my parents call me up and they say, hey, is it, we heard that there's a party going on. I said, no, there's not a party going on. I just invited a few friends over to play some poker tonight. And so we we're just playing a card game. We just had a few more show up. So it's, it, we're just a little loud and a little rowdy. It's not a big deal. And you know, my parents are gullible. So they believed it. Let me just tell you something, parents, your kids are lying to you. I'm just telling you straight up, they're gonna lie to you. Just know right now, they're gonna lie. They're gonna try to cover their faults over and over and over again. It's our human nature to try to cover our faults. And so, um, what they didn't know is that uh, about, instead of having 50 to 100 people show up, about 500 people show up to, our, to my house. And because of, you know, people are urinating in the front yard and you know, all the things that go on in parties, um, <laughs> the cops are called. And in, in the community where I live, if the cops are called, usually they arrest the person that's throwing the party because it's all underage kids and you have to go to prison or, or jail because they wanna make an example of you, make sure kids don't drink. But one of the things they do is they send a letter to that home letting the parents know that there was a party there. And so the cops came out and I convinced them not to take me to jail that day. Um, 
and, and so, but a few weeks later, my parents are at home and they get a letter and they said, hey, you, you remember when we were called on vacation, when we were off on business and, and you were home and, and you said that there was a few people? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, we got a letter from the cops saying that there was a whole bunch of underage drinking happening and people urinating in the front yard and uh, smoking stuff in the backyard and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and I said, wow, man, I, you know. It just, you know, the poker game got a little out of hand. We started getting multiple games going. It kind of became a poker tournament. That was my excuse. And uh, my parents being gullible again, they bought that. And, uh, and so my mom went to go do laundry, which was a miracle in and of itself that day. Um, and, and she goes to do some laundry. And what I didn't realize is, is during the party, uh, when the cops came, a whole bunch of guys grabbed all the liquor and brought it to the laundry room. I have no idea why. And they threw it in a laundry basket and threw like dirty underwear and stuff on top of it. And so, that, you know, what cop is going to think they're looking dirty underwear, right? Um, and so my mom picked up the laundry basket and hears clink, 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 you know, like of all the alcoholic or liquor bottles. And she looks it up and she walks out and she goes, what's this? And, and so, of course, I come up with another excuse, you know, well, one of the friends, he got hurt. And so we thought that the best way to numb the pain was pour alcohol and have them drink some. And, you know, I was just trying to cover my faults over and over and over again. Of course, they did not believe that one. They finally got over the gullible stage at that point. Um, but our natural tendency is to try to cover our faults continuously, is to try to cover up our mistakes, the things that we've done wrong. And that's exactly what David is trying to do here. He's trying to take care of some mistakes that he's made. And, and it goes on to say that, that when he had... He had died when Uriah died. It says in verse 26, Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead. Now, David still has a problem on his hands because uh, Uriah's wife Bathsheba is, is still pregnant and he has not been home and everybody knows that. So how is he gonna take care of that? And so after she had mourned, after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done had displeased the Lord. David is still trying to cover up his sins. But yet at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much we try to cover up what we've done in life. You know what? Whether people know or they don't know, the Lord knows. And it was a thing that displeased him. And it doesn't matter how much we try to make ourselves look good and put on the appearance of we got it all together. At the end of the day, those things cost us. They cost us. And God did, did not design us to, to cover our sins because for, and, and hide our sins for something so graciously he forgave. That's why it says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. God wants us to heal our lives. He wants us to, to learn how to get our man cars back. And if we're, gonna, if we're gonna truly learn how to do that, if we're gonna truly try to embrace what the Bible says about our lives, how do we truly get back to where we need to be? How do we live the full life that God intends with the purpose and the plan that God has for our lives? We've gotta do some things and we've got to recognize some things that David saw and recognized in his life. And in chapter 12, the first thing that happened is, is, is we got to have some friends who can tell us the truth. We got to have some people in our lives who can tell us the truth. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. It says the Lord sent Nathan to David. You have to have some people in your life who can come to you and can tell you the truth even when it hurts. And, and this is so difficult today because we don't want anybody to be able to speak truth into our lives. We wanna decide what is truth for our lives. And it's so hard to allow people to have access to, to speak things to you so that you can understand them, so that you can relate to them, so that you can understand them. In fact, recently I, I had this happen to me. I, I, I'm kind of a, come from an avenue or a background where I was very much, uh, 
part of the jock crowd in high school, you know, we're very arrogant, very, um, uh, we'll say things to hurt other people to make ourselves feel better because we're really just a bunch of insecure uh, idiots. And so um, that's kind of my background. And, and I have a tendency when I get outside of the grace of God to kind of revert back into that mode. And so when people start cutting up and having fun and doing those things, it's pretty natural for me to kind of jump back into that, that kind of mindset and I'll start cutting people down and saying things to people that I probably shouldn't say. And, you know, it's okay if somebody else says it, but because you're a pastor, it hurts hurts them more, even though it was in the same manner that somebody else could say, and it wouldn't be a big problem. Well, we were here setting up one day and, and we were kind of cutting up at the end and just messing around on a Friday night. And I said something to one of the guys as we were cutting up and, and he got really upset about it and left. And, and I was like, man, that dude's a sissy. That dude's a wuss. You know, that was kind of my thought. Like, man, that dude is just way too sensitive. And, and, and so, um, cause I thought, man, that's, it's not a big deal. It's just, we're just cutting up and messing around. It, it didn't mean anything personal. Um, but yet it really, it really messed with him. And about a week later, we were talking on the phone and he says, he says to me, TJ, you know what? You're a jerk. And I said, what? You just, you just called me a jerk. Those are fighting words in my life. Um, and so, uh, you know, as a kid, sorry, this is kind of a side note. My, my nickname is TJ, you know, and so kids would call me total jerk. That was, that was what they called me um, to, to be mean uh, as a kid. So, you know, as a, as a five-year-old, when somebody calls you a total jerk, that's, that's pretty hurtful. So uh, I've just, you know, when everybody, whenever I hear that word, I just want to punch you in the throat. So um, basically he said that, and I just want to go through the phone and rip his, rip his eyes out or something, you know, and it was like, what? What did you say to me? He's like, no, man, you're a jerk. Do you remember last week when you, when you said this and you said that? And I said, yeah, man, we were just joking around. He said, no, man, you hurt my feelings. And I was like, dude, Grow, grow up, grow a pair, bro. I, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. And, and he's like, no, man, you hurt my feelings. You need to say you're sorry. And I'm like, I'm, but I'm sorry that you're hurt. You know, I'm, I'm coming up with it. any and every excuse. Like, and he's like, no, you, you don't get it, do you? You hurt my feelings. And I'm like, and finally it, it clicked in me. Like I hurt his feelings. I don't know why that took me so long to get, but but for me, like I, when you have a small brain, it takes a while to process. And so as it processed through there, like I was like, oh my gosh, I hurt his feelings. And, and, and going to him and, and saying, man, I'm so sorry I hurt your feelings. Man, I'm sorry for the things I've said. I didn't say them. And I didn't mean for them to hurt your feelings. I didn't mean for those things to go around. But I need somebody in my life. I need some people in my life. And you need some people in your life who can tell you the truth. It's one of the reasons why we promote small groups so much. You know, we say that this is great that you come to Sunday morning service, but we don't really have many relationships in here. This is kind of a one-way conversation. I talk, you listen. You don't really get much out of that. You don't get really much response out of that. You don't get the much interaction, interaction out of that. And so it's important that we have relationships in our lives where we can be real and we can be authentic with some people and they can tell us the truth and we can accept that and we can move on and grow and develop our relationship with God. And so when we don't see some things like I didn't see how I'd hurt this guy's feelings, those things can be pointed out so we can rectify that situation. And that's exactly what David had in his life right here. God sends, um, Nathan to David and basically he goes to Nathan and he tells him this story. He says, listen, there was a guy that was extremely wealthy and, and he had a, a tons of cattle and he had tons of sheep and then there was a poor man and he just had a few and this, this rich guy was gonna throw a party and so what he did instead of taking some of his hundreds and thousands of cattle, he went and took the poor guy's stuff and he took him for his own for his party and David is just like irate 
from this because David loves justice. He's all about that. And David's like, man, whoever this guy is, I want you to find him and I want you to bring him to me. And when you bring him to me, that dude is gonna die. He's like, that is that guy's punishment. And Nathan looks at him and he says, David, that man is you. You're the king. You could have anything you want. You could have any woman you want. You could have any piece of property that you want, but yet you saw Uriah's wife and you looked at her and you said, I want that. And that was all that he had. And yet you took it. And see, the thing is, is that we need some people in our lives that can come to us and can talk to us the way that we will receive it. And right there, David, he was, he, he was convicted because that's how he needed to be talked to. And that was the reason why I was convicted because that was the way I needed to be talked to. I needed somebody to be blunt and straight up and just smack me across the face and say, man, you're an idiot, you're, you're a jerk so that I could recognize what was happening in my life. And when we have some friends who can tell us the truth that, that see some of the blind spots that we're not seeing, it gives us the opportunity to take ownership of our mistake. It gives us the opportunity to take ownership of our mistake. And, and when we recognize what we've done, we, we all have a tendency to want to react different ways when things are presented to us, when a friend comes to us and says something. We have the opportunity to respond in one of three ways. There's, the Bible talks about in the book of Proverbs, there's three responses, there are three kinds of people. There's, there's evil people, there are foolish people, and there are wise people. Evil people, man, they're the kind of people that you need to have guns, money, or lawyers for because you're gonna need a gun to protect yourself. You're gonna need a lawyer who can sue that dude, and you're going to need lots of money to pay for all the damage they're going to cause in your life. And those kind of people, you just want to stay the heck away from them. Don't even waste your time on them. And then there's foolish people that when, when things come to, their, to them, when somebody comes to them, they hear truth, but they want to adapt truth to fit their situation. And so their natural tendency when they're confronted with truth in their life is they like to play the blame game. They like to play, put the blame on somebody else. Well, it's not really my fault. If Susie would have done this, then that would have never happened. And then it would have never really been my fault. Or they like to shoot the messenger. And so their natural response is to blame other people because they're foolish. And when they hear truth, they want truth to be adapted to their situation. In fact, Proverbs 12:1 says, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. A foolish person is basically a stupid person. They don't like correction. They try to push that correction away from them and put it on somebody else. But yet a wise person, when they are presented with truth, they hear truth, they recognize truth, and they say, you know what? I need to apply truth to my life. And so whatever area of my life I need to change to get in life in line with truth, I'm gonna do that. And that is exactly the way that David responds right here to this situation. When Nathan confronts him and he says that, David goes, says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He says, man, you've got me. I recognize the truth that you just presented in my life and I'm not gonna try to blame somebody else. I'm not gonna blame uh, you know, Uriah. He should have been at home with his wife taking care of her and she would have never came over to my house. No, listen, Uriah was fulfilling his responsibilities. You were being irresponsible. And you took advantage of a situation and now you're recognizing it and now you're, you're adapting to it. And so he responds and he says, man, I have messed up. And the cool thing is, is that when he does that, Nathan replied to him, man, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not gonna die because his, his judgment for that thing that he did was death. His judgment that should have been given to him in that moment was death. He said, man, that person is tried and convicted and they're gonna be crucified. But God was extremely gracious and said, man, you're not gonna die. But he says, but there is a consequence to your actions. And he says, but because of 
By doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord. The son born to you will die. The thing I love about God is God is extremely gracious to forgive us. I mean, he is a God of overwhelming grace, but what we so many times forget is that, you know what, there are consequences to actions. And when we mess up, when we make mistakes, there's consequences to those things, and they don't always affect us uh, right at where we are. Sometimes they affect other people. They hurt other people. And we don't realize when we're going through those things where we're finding ourselves being irresponsible and we're, we're trying to cover up our mistakes and we're trying to do all those things that all of a sudden, man, it can literally destroy things in our lives. It costs us something. Listen, there is always a cost to sin. And so this child is born to Bathsheba and David, man, he starts praying, he starts fasting and he won't talk. He won't do anything, man. He's just seeking God, saying, God, please, please, please heal my child. Can you imagine? I mean, from Bathsheba's perspective, I mean, her child is, is, is dying right now and she can do nothing. And then from David's perspective, like that child is dying because of things that he has done. The consequences of his sin, the wages of sin is death. Well, the wages of his sin was his son's death. And his son ends up dying. And David has a choice right there of what he's going to do. And David does something I think that all of us need to do. We find that we've made some mistakes that we've messed up in life is David allows God to restore the thing that is broken. When we mess up our lives, man, we break things. We destroy things. And we think there's no way that the pieces of that aspect of my life, man, there's no way that my finances could ever be put together after this financial crisis. Man, there's, there's no way I could ever put together a relationship after my, my failed marriage. There's no way I could ever get another career after my failed uh, attempts to start my own business. There's just no way. And we think that, man, that area of my life is just done and over. Instead of getting up and moving on, we just stay right there and we just kind of stay in this season of, of mourning that loss and we always, we always blame everything back on that loss. But David does something extremely different in this situation. And he says, then David got up from the ground and after he had washed, he put on lotions and changed his clothes and he went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. There's always consequences to actions. You're gonna have times in life when you're gonna hurt. Listen, pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. And David chose in the hardest time to get up and say, you know what, man, I'm gonna worship. Man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna worship God and I'm gonna, I'm gonna see him even in the midst of my situation. And, and even though I, I feel like I'm disqualified, God doesn't, doesn't disqualify people. He, he calls the qualified and he'll be the qualifier of your life. And it doesn't matter how much you've messed up your life. It doesn't matter how much you've screwed things up, man. God can take the broken pieces of your life and put them back together. But it starts with us getting to God and saying, you know what? I'm gonna take my focus off myself and I'm gonna put my focus on you. 
I'm going to get my eyes off my situation and get my eyes on the creator and fixer of all things, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, God of everything, the God of yesterday, today, and forever, the God who saves and set frees and restores and redeems, man. I'm going to put all my focus on him and I'm going to get my perspective on him because when we get our perspective on God, it changes everything in our situation. Instead of looking at what is lost, all of a sudden we start focusing focusing on what is found and what is left in our lives. And and when he started focusing on God, all of a sudden it changed David's perspective. And he realized, man, I can't focus on what's been lost. I got to focus on what's left. And And it says in verse 24, he went to his home and he laid with his wife Bathsheba and they, and they ended up conceiving a son named Solomon. When he got his eyes off of his situation and started looking at what was left and said, you know what? God wants to do something great with what is left. He had a son named Solomon. And the name Solomon means peace. It means that in his broken situation, God brought this overwhelming peace to his life. In the middle of his biggest screw up in a fair, he ends up giving him a son who is going to lead the nation to do things that he could never do. Because David understood a principle that, that was evident throughout his entire life. And that was this, that David was a man after God's own heart. No matter how much he screwed up, no matter how much he messed up, his heart and his natural response was always to run back to God. And today, you and I, no matter how much we've messed up, our natural response needs to be, we need to run back to God. We need to get back to God. story of a little boy who was out playing in his neighborhood and was running around with some kids and they were running around and eventually the kids all left and and he was left in this field and, and as he started walking back towards his house he realized he didn't know where he was he was lost, and as he was looking around for anything familiar, he didn't see anything familiar, and, and because he was young, he didn't really know what to do, and, he, and so he just started crying, and he, he, was, he was just lost. He was just looking for his home, and, and so because he was lost and he didn't know where he was, he just, he just sat down on the side of the road and just was crying, and a, and a stranger happened to be driving by and saw this little boy crying on the side of the road and, and, and pulled over his car and got out and said, son, what's wrong? And he's like, man, I, I can't find my house. I can't find my way home. And the guy said, well, well, what's your address? I'll, I'll take you to your home. And the little boy said, I, I, I don't know what my address is. And he said, well, well, what's your phone number? Tell me your phone number. I'll call your parents and, and, and they'll, we'll, I'll, I'll find out where you live and I'll take you home that way. And he's like, I, I, I don't know my phone number. He's like, well, well what's your last name? What's your, what's your parents' name? And he's like, daddy, I, I, I don't know what my, my parents' name is. I, I just call him daddy. And he's like, do you know any way to get home? Do you have any idea where your house is? And the little boy thought for a moment and he said, and he said this to the stranger. He said, man, there's a church that's by my house and there's a big old cross that's up on top. And if you can get me to that cross, I can find my way home. And I wanna tell you here today, man, if you can just find your way to the cross, you can find your way home. You can be restored back into the things that God has because it doesn't matter what you've done. God still has an awesome plan for your life. This is a Coastal Community Church podcast. 
For more information about Coastal Community Church, please visit coastalcommunity.tv.